since my heart he bestows since I love my Savior the longer I serve him the sweeter he Women's Ministry Day is empowering to serve. It is my absolute honor and privilege to introduce the first two of three speakers this morning. Our first two speakers really are in need of no introduction, for you know them. They are your sisters in Christ. Our first speaker is my sister in Christ and my sister by adoption, Sister Janice Stevenson. Janice, among her many gifts, is a gifted teacher, 
orchestrator, as many of you would see during the Abundant Life Christian Academy holiday program this coming Thursday. She's a loyal friend and a lover of children. One of the things that I'm especially admirable of for Janice is that she's a fighter who knows that God is on her side. And because God is on her side, her victory is assured. If you are as excited as I am this morning to hear from Janice today, why don't you go ahead and give her a hearty amen. amen. Our second speaker is my darling wife, Robin Brown. Suffice it to say that she is the love of my life. Robin, among her many gifts, is a gifted musician and choir leader, as many of you have the opportunity to witness from week to week. She is prepared. She is committed. She loved the master for whom she renders her service, God Almighty. I'm excited to hear from Robin today. If you are, why don't you give her an amen as well? I know that you know that both Janice and Robin are well-prepared, well-equipped, dedicated, and Holy Spirit inspired to serve. So after the next selection, it will be our privilege. There is no selection. After me, it will be your privilege and honor to hear from the first two speakers Robin and Janice in that order. I'd like to say good morning and happy Sabbath. I know that you hear the musicians over there, but the drummer isn't drumming. So if you hear something that sounds like drums, it's just my knees knocking together. <clears throat> it is a humble privilege to stand in your presence before a holy God. And even though it's Women's Day, the messages God has prepared through us today will reach the hearts of every willing heart, regardless of age or gender. So please pray with me that God will have his way. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, so much for the love that you have showered down on me all my life. I thank you, Lord, for all the trials. I thank you for everything. And I know that you are God and there is none like you. So I'm just asking, Father, that you will use me to reach someone's heart today. And you will get all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. My assignment today is to help us to understand that we can be empowered to serve by overcoming barriers. What is a barrier? A barrier has been defined as a structure built to bar passage, a wall that can be either physical or metaphorical, or a circumstance or obstacle that keeps people or things apart or prevents communication or progress. All of us have barriers that impede us from doing and being all God intends us to be. But we can be overcomers. There are many types of barriers, relational, financial, emotional, physical, and educational. 
But in order for you to under overcome any barrier, you first have to admit that it exists. The story is told in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. And I would like you to read it with me. It says, Now there was a certain man in Ramathan, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. And he had two wives. That was one of his problems right there. <laughs> one was Hannah, and the other's name was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And when it came time for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her, revival also provoked, her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Hannah was being provoked and ridiculed, and it caused her to weep long and hard. She had to overcome these barriers. The fact that it said that she wept and did not eat implies that Hannah may have been depressed. Hannah knew where to go for help, though. She took her barriers of barrenness and provocation to the Lord, and he did something miraculous for her and gave her Samuel. And just like God birthed a miracle in Hannah, he can do the same thing for you. It may not be a physical birth, but a birth of new determination, a birth of new direction, a birth of new thought processes, and the birth of new or renewed service for his kingdom. Whatever it is that you need, God's got it. It doesn't matter what type of barrier is in your way, Face it in the name of Jesus, and you will have divine help on your side to aid you. Read God's word, and you will find a solution for every type of barrier that may exist. If your barrier is your family, and I know some of us, our barriers are our families. Study Genesis chapters 37 through 45, and learn how one family, Joseph's family, overcame their barriers. If you have financial problems, and you are being faithful to God, please hear me. If you have financial problems and you are being faithful to God, you can go to him and he will supply your needs. Read 2 Kings chapter 4, and you will learn how a widow was able to save her sons from being made into slaves to pay off her debts by having faith and heeding the voice of the prophet Elisha. Now it's one thing to admit your own mistakes. But it's a whole different ball game to be haunted by the memory of abuse you suffered at the hands of someone else. In 2 Samuel 13, verses 1 through 5, is the story of someone who suffered and survived a serious act of violation. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Ammon, the son of David, loved her. Ammon was so distressed over his sister, Tamar, that he became sick, for she was a virgin. 
and it was improper for Ammon to do anything to her. But Ammon had a friend. You got to watch who your friends are. <laughs> Any of your friends who are willing to try to help you to prepare to make destruction against someone else, you better watch your back because one day they're going to be helping someone to prepare against you. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, he said, why are you the king's son becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Ammon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to you to say to you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare, prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Now Tamar didn't do anything to bring the evil that was perpetuated against her. But Ammon, her brother, with his lustful, conniving self, sat day and night plotting how he would fulfill his sick desires. Ammon did not consider how devastating an act this would be upon his sister. He didn't care. He wanted what he wanted, and he was going to go to any means to get it. Because of Ammon's impure, selfish act, Tamar was left with the burdens and barriers of shame and emotional pain. You see, when you suffer physical or sexual abuse, it doesn't just affect your mind. The barriers of shame, false guilt, anger, and fear accompany the nauseating memory of betrayal that has been etched on every cell of your body. But it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you. You were made for more than this. You must know that God still wants you. An amazingly gifted songwriter said, God still wants you. God still needs you. Nobody else can do what he's called you to do, and that's why he created you. Don't believe the lies that you've been told, that you're worthless and unloved or useless. Those are lies that are told by the father of lies and the accuser of the brethren. Barriers that are this deep and complicated can still be eradicated by the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-present, all-loving God. Tamar means palm tree. And just like a palm tree can stand through the summer, the spring, the fall, and the cold winds of winter, you too can stand. Barriers like these often create a big, big mess. But God specializes in cleaning up messes. When the Lord gets through working on you, all your adversaries will be ashamed. All your accusers will have to take it back. All the people who contributed to your low self-esteem will have to admit they were wrong. When God gets through unleashing you, you won't have to prove anything to anybody at any time because God's going to do all the proving. He will place you in the light of his glory and all the treasures that he put within you will come flowing out. She was born a few days after Father's Day, and her daddy called her his gift. She was the apple of her father's eye. Her mother was jealous of the close relationship this little girl and her father had. He read to her. 
He talked with her. He listened to her incessant babbling and her patiently answered her every question. This little girl knew that she could do anything because her daddy said so. He always picked her up from school. She always waited outside her classroom door. But one day she waited and he never came. Instead, a stranger came to retrieve her. She walked home in silence. Her father always held her hand, but that day she stuffed her hands in her pockets. Her sense of self-worth immediately went out the window. No one answered her questions. Strangers filled the house. The people were crying. Her mother said to her, get out of my face. You look like your daddy. Her father died, and with him died the love and security that little girl knew. A sinister evil had been kept at bay while her father was living, but it festered like a cancer. Blatant abuse was now the order of the day. That little girl never knew what to expect from one day to the next. She might get something to eat, she might not. It strictly depended on whether her mother felt like feeding her. Oftentimes, she was made to sleep in a cold, damp, dark basement. She never had to do anything wrong. It was always just because. These episodes of isolation and neglect were accompanied by burns and kicks and slaps and punches. Why? Just because. At 11 years old, her mother looked that little girl in her face and she admitted, I never wanted you and I don't want you now. And I wish that you had died instead of your sister. Now you talk about barriers to overcome. In spite of all the abuse that little girl experienced, she never stopped caring about others and she never became a whole-hearted, cold-hearted, callous person. She always was willing to give, to help, and to share. However, that little girl battled with depression. But can you blame her? She didn't even know what that sad feeling that she had was. But now, she is victorious because she met a man named Jesus who loves her and showed her in panoramic view of how he's taking care of her all her life. He showed her how and why he gave her so many talents to keep her until she would understand that he loved her. Today, she is successful, professional, who is highly favored and highly gifted and loved by many. She overcame the obstacles that were barriers to her serving God. No matter what obstacle you face, God is able to use you in his service. You see, David had an affair and Noah was drunk Jonah ran from God, Peter had a temper, Gideon was insecure, Miriam was a gossiper, Martha was a worrier, Thomas was a doubter, Sarah was impatient, Elijah, he was moody, Moses stuttered, Zacchaeus was short, Abraham was old, and Lazarus was dead, but God still used them. So what's your excuse? It seems to me you really don't have one. So whatever your barriers are, submit them to God. God will give you the strength to overcome them, and you will be victorious.
I just want to start by thanking Sister Stevenson for those powerful examples of people in the Bible who had barriers to service and how they overcame. Thank you for sharing that with us. I'm honored and thankful today to stand before you along with my sisters in Christ as we celebrate on this Women's Ministry Day, talking about empowering to serve. Now, we may or may not have experienced some of those barriers that Sister Stevenson talked about or that some of those Bible characters experience, but we all face a common problem when it comes to service. And that problem is that it can be difficult to serve. Can we agree with that? Amen. Then the difficulty that can cause lots of things, it can cause some of us to offer ineffective, substandard, tainted service. Some of us will also limp along, hoping that our time to serve will pass quickly and we'll be able to get out of this thing. Some of us will quit soon after starting to serve. Others will quit before even getting started. They get elected in November and they don't even make it until January before they turn in their resignation. Now we know that's true because we see it happen. We've seen it happen right here in Abundant Life. So today as we examine a solution to this problem about it being difficult to serve, I'm speaking to those who are about to begin serving this new term of service as we go into the new year. Those who have been serving for years maybe and are continuing in service in the Lord's Army. And I'm also speaking to those of you who have thought maybe you'd like to serve, but something is holding you back. Today, it's my hope that you will be inspired, that we'll all be inspired to serve with all of our might, despite whatever challenges we may face, that we'll be equipped with some thoughts to battle the challenges and discouragement that are sure to come as we serve, and that we'll be tooled with ideas on how to position ourselves to render excellent service in the Lord's army. Imagine what a powerhouse our church would be in helping to build God's kingdom right here in this city if we were empowered in our service. Let us pray. Father, let the words of, our, of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. May my thoughts and the words that I'll share today come directly to you and be an encouragement and food to your people. Lord, we love you and we thank you for giving us all that you've given that we might be able to serve you. Bless us now and let your Holy Spirit abide in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Now as Clarence introduced me and all of you know me, I've been serving in music ministry for a long time. I don't even want to say the years because you know, that would date me, so, so I'm not gonna say. But I know that's my life's calling and I'm certain of it. So most of my references will be in the context of music ministry. But what the Lord has given me to share with you today doesn't just apply to music ministry, it applies to whatever area of service that you are serving in. Now as we think about being empowered to serve, the one thing that we can all do to help us along as we serve in the Lord's army is to be prepared. And today I want to take the next few minutes to create a mental picture with you about being prepared for service. A picture that I hope will make an impression that you can remember as you serve. You see the simple graphic? Well, preparing to serve in the Lord's army is much like a runner preparing to run a race. So I've cre created this graphic to help us as we look at a few things to help us prepare to serve. So let us consider the runner and the servant. 
Before a runner can actually prepare for a race, he or she has to have identified their strengths and weaknesses. They need to know whether they're a short distance runner or whether they prefer a long, a long distance race. They need to know whether they prefer to run alone or if they like to be on a relay team. They need to know if they'd rather run on blacktop track or if they want to run on the road. Like the runner, the Christian servant should also identify the type of service that they're better at rendering. They need to know their strengths and weaknesses. Are we good at encouraging people with our words? Or do we prefer to be actively doing something in our hands, perhaps working over in the fellowship hall in the kitchen? So you probably know where this is going already, right? What I'm getting at is though both a runner and a servant need to know what they're gifted at and where their talents lie. And in most cases, the areas in which one's gifts lie are also the things that they're usually good at doing. Now, I suspect that there's someone here today that may be willing to serve, but you may not quite know where you fit in. You may not quite know what to do. So the first step in being prepared to serve is to know your gifts and your talents and how and where they can be best used in the work of the Lord. I'd like for us to read together this text from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 6. Let us read together. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God that worketh all in all. And then continuing in verse 8, for to one is given by the spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. So this text talks about spiritual gifts and there are many gifts, spiritual gifts here in the church. And then in 1 Peter, we read together again, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So in that first text, we see that there are a multitude of gifts, spiritual gifts that the Lord has placed in the church. But in this text, the word gift is referring to our talents. So we see we have many gifts and we have many talents right here in the church. Now God didn't give us gifts and talents to just hold on to them for ourselves. He gave them to us to use for his glory. And all of our abilities, our gifts, and our talents should be used in serving others. And that's why it's important to identify what they are so we can make the best use of them in service. If you don't know your gift, you may find yourself being a hindrance to a particular ministry or service instead of a help. Let me just give you an example. There have been times when maybe a new person is coming to the church and they come and say, probably because the pastor says, now we need to have you serving somewhere. And they say, oh, well, I sing. I like to be in the choir. And so, you know, I, I meet them and I say, well, we have choir rehearsal such and such day. Please come. We would love to have you before we hear them sing. And then they come to the first rehearsal. We welcome them and all is well. And I start teaching a song. And after the first few notes, I, along with everyone else in the choir, we know that they haven't correctly identified their gift you can hear it. You can hear that they don't know what their gift is because their voice stands out like red on white and eventually they kind of weed themselves out of the choir. On the other hand, 
There are others in the group that learn their parts easily and can help lead and teach others their voice parts to the songs that we're learning. They have the gift and the talent of music, and they're serving in the right ministry for their gift. So you may then be asking, well, how can I know what my gift is? Well, I'm glad that you asked. And I'd like to share with you here just three key ways to discover what your gift is. The first way is personal assessment. No one knows yourself better than you know yourself. You know the things that you like to do and the things that you can do well. And now be honest with yourself. Sometimes you may like to do something, but if you were to be honest, that's something that you like to do is probably something that should just be done at home, like singing in the shower, right? And then the second way that we can know our gifts and talents are by external confirmation. You share your gift, perhaps you share your gift with the church, and others come and affirm you afterwards, saying, you know, you did a really good job. Then you know you're working in your area of service where you should be. And the third way is a tool that's called a spiritual gifts inventory. Many of you have probably used that tool before. It's an evaluation that asks a series of questions that you answer, and it identifies your gifts and matches you with the church ministries that can use your gifts. You can find a tool like that online or at your local Christian bookstore. You can also speak with Elder Brown, who has the role of interest coordinator, and he can help you find out what your gift is by administering that tool and help you know what ministries could use your gifts and talents. So that's step one in preparing to serve. You have to know what your gifts and talents are so that you serve in the right area. Now I'm going to move on to step two. I only have four steps, so it's going to be real easy to remember. More than likely, most people in this room have been in a race in their lifetime. And I know that's true because just a few weeks ago at the church picnic, I saw some of you racing Pastor Madden and Sister Dabney to the finish lines. So I know that you're runners. But if you haven't been in a race before, you've been in some type of competitive activity. So let's just consider a foot race. So back to our runner. In a foot race, the whole object of the race is to achieve some type of recognition or fame or to win some type of reward, perhaps a medal, a ribbon, some money, or in some cases, it might just be personal achievement. Whatever the case is, you start preparing for the race with the end in mind. The reward at the end is the greatest motivator for the race. Runners sometimes get started and they feel exhausted like they're unable to finish, but then when they think about the end of the race, it pushes them to go on. So what then is the object of our Christian service? Could it too be a reward? Maybe so. Or do we serve for a medal, a ribbon, or some type of personal fame and recognition? Well, you could say we might be serving for our heavenly reward, except for the fact that you can never serve enough to get that reward. We can't work our way into heaven. We can't earn our heavenly reward. It's just given to us freely if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is the answer regarding what is the object of our Christian service. The object of our service is Jesus Christ, right? So in preparing to serve, we must have fixed in our minds that Jesus is the reason we serve. And if you don't remember anything else that I say, please hold on to that thought that Jesus is the reason. Now, the end of everything that we may do in our Christian service and all of our other service, in the community, in our homes, in our secular work, it's all about Jesus Christ. 
Naturally, when we serve the people with whom we engage, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our neighbors, our coworkers, and so on, they are the most obvious recipients of our gifts and talents that we share. But ultimately, we are serving Christ. You know the text in Matthew chapter 25 from verses 35 to 40 where Jesus says, for I was a hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, well, when did we do all these things? And they list the things. Then the king answers and he says unto them, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it, Unto one of these, the least of my brethren, you have done it unto me, and we serve Christ. Now to bring that a little closer to home, I'll just speak for myself. I don't serve because Pastor Madden is the pastor. I love Pastor Madden, but he's not the reason that I serve. I don't serve because my husband is a church leader and I'm his wife and you know I should be doing the right thing serving because I'm in that role. I don't serve because I get to be up front and seen. You know, this is a little uncomfortable up here, <laughs> but here I am. I don't serve to try and get people to like me. I don't serve for any personal recognition. But let me tell you why I do serve. I serve because I'm appreciative of the talents that the Lord has blessed me with. He didn't have to give me the gift of song and the gift of music. He didn't have to do that. And I serve most, most of all because of what Christ has done for me. The Bible says that Christ came to serve. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus himself said, Jesus, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you all hear that? Jesus served and he gave his life for me. Nobody else has done that for me. I serve him because I love him. I serve him out of gratitude and thanksgiving for him giving his life that I might have life eternal with him. I serve him because he's the object of my affections, the center of my joy. Remember we started out talking about, we have to be clear of who or what the object is. It's crucial to set this pillar in your mind that you're serving Christ and not man. The reason it is crucial is because the enemy doesn't want us to work for Christ. And he tries to interrupt and stomp out our efforts at every opportunity through discouragement and difficulties, through the barriers that Sister Stevenson talked about. And if we forget that we're serving Christ, the enemy will be successful, causing us to be ineffective in our service. And at his best, he'll cause us to give in and quit. I'll tell you, let me just share with you a couple of things because I want you to know I'm not just saying this, it's not easy in the role that I serve in music ministry, and it's not my tale of woes, but I just wanna make it real for you. There are times when I'm serving and the enemy throws distractions my way, like things that could cause me to be discouraged, things that could cause me to be even fearful, things that make me wanna say, you know what, I've really had enough of this. All I wanna do is come to church and worship the Lord. I don't need all that other stuff that comes along with serving. I don't need to show up to choir rehearsal every week only to have less than I can count on one hand, show up to rehearsal after I spend hours looking for music, listening to music, and practicing music. Dr. Ellis doesn't need that either. He's a servant. I don't need to spend hours at rehearsal teaching notes only to have them sung completely wrong, as if we haven't practiced a lick. I could do without the criticisms and challenges of those who won't join in and help, but prefer to sit in the pews and complain directly and indirectly that they don't like the music, they don't like the styles, they don't like the instruments over there, whatever. I don't really need that, you know? 
I don't need the momentary anxiety of on-the-spot changes taking place in the service and having to hustle to figure out what to do. I'm thinking, Lord, I just want to come and worship you. I don't need all this other stuff. And it's really no fun to arrive at rehearsal alone to be met with a new-to-town gangbanger and to have my son ask me after we leave rehearsal, well, how many people do you think he killed? <laughs> because he has the teardrops under his eyes, you know, and talk to a young person about that. They'll explain that to you. <laughs> it's no fun to stand up to sing, and at the very moment you stand up to sing, an estranged husband of one of your members walks in the door, and you're like, you know, and people have already said, you know, you should be careful. And now you're ready to sing, and they're staring you down up here. You all wouldn't see that, but it happens as we serve. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you that service comes with its own set of difficulties and not so fun surprises. And I know that those of you who serve in different capacities, you have your own set of challenges and your own stories. I've experienced a spectrum of challenges in serving that could have made me throw in the towel, but then when I think about how sweet my Jesus is to me, all of these challenges and distractions that we face are nothing in comparison to what he's done to save my wretched soul. So when we keep our eyes focused on the cross and what Jesus did there, we can approach service from a different perspective and we can be more willing and prepared to endure the challenges that will surface as we serve. We remember that Christian service is not about us at all. It's not about me, it's not about you. It's just all about Christ the master. And our difficulties are minuscule when compared to the ultimate service that Christ rendered on our behalf. Another reason that I'm lingering on this step two so long is because the object, the subject of Christ being the object of our services, because he said in Exodus chapter 23 through five, that thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Thou shalt not bow down to them, nor, nor serve them, right? And herein is a key issue. If God, Jesus Christ, is not the object of our service, then something else is. And that something else is equivalent to our little G gods. And let's face it, it's either Jesus Christ that we serve or something else. And that other something else is usually ourselves, serving ourselves, what we like, our own pleasures. So in preparing to serve step number two, I just want to uh, review that we must have ingrained in our mind in our hearts and in our hands the notion that Christ is the central focus of our service Christ and what he has done and what he is doing is the greatest motivation to our service aside from that our labors and our service is in vain now only have two steps left step number three is that preparing to serve in preparing to serve we must be mentally prepared because the mind controls every function of our bodies, we must start with mental preparation. In Philippians 2 through 5, that text says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That means that as we serve, we want to have a Christ-like mind, not a Robin-like mind. I want to have a Christ-like mind. And back to our, back to our little graphic here. Step three, when we're talking about mental preparation, I want to just go back to the runner. 
Many runners and athletes in general pray before they race. You've seen them, the football teams, the NFL, you see them down, bended on one knee, saying their prayer that they'll have success in the game. And I suppose other types of athletes, you may see them doing whatever spiritual-like ritual, inner self ritual, success, you know, success ritual that they engage in as they prepare for an event. For the Christian servant, our mental preparation should begin with ensuring a strong spiritual connection. That factor is the driving force behind everything else we do in serving. In order to have a mind like Christ, there are just a few things, a few things that we need to do. We have to spend time in prayer and our personal devotions. And our mind must also be free to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and just infiltrate every area of our mind and of our whole being. And that is how we gain a Christ-like mind. That kind of mental preparation helps us to serve as he would. It helps us to work with people who are difficult to work with. It helps us to manifest the fruit of the spirit in our service. For me, it helps in selecting the type of music that we do and how it's presented. So striving to have a mind like Christ is foundational to all of our service. It ensures that our service is God-inspired, God-led, and God-sustained. And now I'm down to the next component of our mental preparation is knowledge. Runners, they need to know the best techniques and preparation for their style of running. They may get that from books, from tapes, from talking to other runners and their coaches, and by observing other runners and their training and performance. Now those of us involved in Christian service need knowledge as well, don't we? And knowledge is readily available to us. We have seasoned, experienced saints among us in our own church and other churches who've already tread the waters that we're paddling now. They have years of knowledge. We have many of our saints here that have a lot of wisdom and service under their belts, whereas we may just be getting started. They're honored to share with us what they know to help the neophytes who are starting to work in God's church. All we have to do is seek them out. Also, our church publishes materials to assist in carrying out the duties of any ministry in which you happen to be involved. If you're doing family life, there's the resources from the ABC, fam how to do family life ministry in your church. If you're a deaconess, how to do deaconessing in your church. Whatever ministry you're in, there's lots of knowledge and information out there to help you. The Bible says in Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And also in Proverbs 18-15, it reads, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seek knowledge. So seek wisdom and knowledge as you serve. And the last, the last uh, factor under this category of mental preparation that I'd like to address is attitude. You've all heard the saying that your attitude determines your altitude. Well, attitude is critical, right? To prepare to serve, we have to have an attitude, a stance of perseverance, determination, hopefulness, and steadfastness. In Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3.13, the Bible says, as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is right. Galatians 6.9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He served into his earthly end. He never gave up. We must have a made up mind that we will let nothing turn us around. You know, we sing this song, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. And I promised him that I would, how long? Till I die. 
So I want you to think about that the next time you sing that song. Can you really sing that song? Do you really mean it? Let us mean and live what we sing about. Now I'm on step four, which is the last step of being prepared. Physical preparation. Oh, look at him. <laughs> he didn't do that at home. <laughs> so the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. A runner is probably most concerned with the condition of her body as she's getting ready for the race. Think of Sister Kyra, I wish she was here today. She runs, and Sister Janine. She can't afford to have any injuries or illnesses of any kind because that'll definitely affect the, her running abilities. So she cares for her body. Now, while the Christian may not be performing a service, may not be doing those push-ups, or anything that requires great physical abilities, the servant will always carry out their task with greater vim and vigor if he or she is well. And here's where we tie in our health message. I'll just give you this acronym you've probably heard before, nutrition. What? New, new start, it says. Nutrition, exercise, water, sunlight, temperance, air, rest and trust in God. Now I know that it's hard to keep up with some of those things, all of them all at one time, because I struggle myself. But I once heard a missionary, a health missionary say, if we can't follow all those things, do these three. Drink a lot of water, exercise, and get your rest. That's not too hard to do. But if we do that, whatever area you're serving in, you'll have more energy, you'll have a greater presence of mind, and you'll be more effective in your service. Secondly, a runner prepares for a race by getting the right resources. They get the right shoes, they get the right equipment and accessories, they have the right running uniform on and so on. They get prepared by making sure that they have what they need to train and to run. The Christian servant must prepare the same way. You must have what you need to do the job. Adequate, attractive literature if you're working in evangelism. You even need good walking shoes. In music ministry, we need working instruments. The ushers need uniforms and proper shoes. And lastly, and perhaps most critical, under our physical preparation is effort. That's work and diligence. You must show up and be present to do the job, right? You must practice. I love to see the deaconesses uh, fold that communion cloth. You know, they do it with such precision. It's because they practice. They don't just show up and do that. The elders, when they lead out in the communion service, you know, they're just right on key. Everybody knows where to go. They practice. That's part of their service, and that's part of how they prepare. The choirs practice. The pathfinder leaders, they even practice whatever little demonstrations they're going to do with the children. They get all of that ready before they come. That's part of their physical preparation. Now, running the race and serving in the Lord's army is often a grueling task. It's not easy. And unlike a race, serving is not often a one-man or a one-woman job. Service is not done in a one-person lane. I believe that because God is relational, service involves interacting with others, being of assistance to others. Many different people, different personalities, different cultures, different age groups and genders, all moving and working in the same lane of life. It's by no means an easy job. But having said that, serving in the Lord's army it's just difficult, it's not impossible. It's only challenging, it's not insurmountable. 
And when it is difficult and challenging, remember the steps of preparation, that most critical step. Step number two, being clear about the object of your activity. And just make up in your mind that because what Christ has done, you're willing to serve. Remember that he gave his life in a horrific death on a rugged cross for our sinful selves. Remember what he's still doing as he continues serving in the ministry of intercession for us before his father in the throne room. All of the service we could ever render could not equate to our servant leader, Jesus Christ. And the reward is incredible, well worth any trouble we may face. In a race, in a foot race, it may be a medal, but in the Christian race, it's our eternal relationship with the Lord of everything, a relationship with the greatest friend of all times. So I leave you by saying, don't be afraid to serve. Just follow the steps, it's only four steps, and be prepared. Be empowered to serve. Amen. As we prepare to wrap up uh, this um, meal, um, it's not going to be too long, but I, am, I have been tasked with uh, this duty of introducing um, the first and only lady in my life, uh, that is my wife, um, of which we have been married for going on 23 years. Now I want you to know that my wife, uh, you would notice that she is uh, not a loud lady. Uh, she sits um, and she watches and she is very quiet. Um, but don't let her quietness deceive you, right? Because when she needs to speak, she does. Uh, she has served as the Children's Ministries Director of the Quebec Conference for 10 years, and she has been active in the conference, serving in many capacities, um, uh, preaching in different seminars, uh, in different uh, settings, uh, right across the Quebec Conference and the uh, Canadian Union. And uh, I believe that the Lord has called her and tasked her to help me to be on task. Uh, she has a hidden gift. Uh, she is a perfectionist. And sometimes it keeps her up way into the middle of the night working uh, when um, her family desires sleep. And so I want you to know that you truly have a woman of God about to speak to you, and I'd like you to hear her and um, hear the word of God uh, as she speaks and as she delivers. Amen. Amen. Good afternoon, church. First, I want to thank Pastor Madden for his kind words. <laughs> okay, um, so we have been, um, we, we're talking about empowerment for service, and we've heard about barriers to service, as uh, Sister Stevenson discussed that earlier, and then Sister Brown talked about preparation for service. In the next few minutes, um, we'll be looking at the subtopic ordained for service. 
ordained for service. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, as we tarry a little longer in your word, we ask that you will continue to be with us. I ask that you will take the little I have now and use it to your name's honor and glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the Bible, we read of many people and places and things um, being ordained. So what does it mean to be ordained? It simply means to be called, ordered, set apart, or appointed to do something. Now, the Bible is filled with many examples of people who were ordained by God. Men, women, children, youth, they were ordained by God to accomplish specific tasks. We can think of Huldah, Deborah, David, uh, Josiah, um, the little slave girl that served Mrs. Naaman, and many others. But today I'd like to zoom in on the story of an unnamed woman found in the Gospel of John. Please open your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Chapter 4, that says Galatians chapter 3. Do you have your Bibles? Let's, let's read from our Bibles. John chapter 4. And we're going to be focusing on, we're going to be focusing on verses 27 to 42. But before we do that, I'm just going to do a quick summary of the previous verses for those who are now familiar with the story so we can all be on the same page. Let me see if I can do this for you guys. John chapter four, we're at verse 27. Okay, I'm just gonna summarize verses one to 26 and then we're gonna jump to 27 and that's what we'll focus on today. So in the first three verses of John, we see the Pharisees are becoming increasingly hostile toward Jesus and his ministry. So he left Judea and went back to Galilee. And in verse 4, it tells us Jesus had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. You see, Samaria was between Judea in the south and Galilee in the north. And it was a place where the northern kingdom of Israel had once been. But at some point, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom. And the people intermarried, and that's how the Samaritans came about. So the Jews, they looked down on the Samaritans as a people who were inferior, both physically and morally. So in the time of Christ, as you can imagine, there was great animosity between these two groups, the Jews and the Samaritans. Just a little history there for you. So we see Jesus is on his way from Judea to Galilee, and as the scripture tells us, he had to go through Samaria. Now about midday, Jesus stopped at a town in Samaria called Sychar by Jacob's well, and he sat at the well while his disciples went to town to find something to eat. It is there that Jesus met the Samaritan woman whom we know as the woman at the well. So he asked her for a drink of water, 
And in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And in verse 10, Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So during the course of the conversation, Jesus told the woman everything about her life, both past and present, and revealed to her that, in fact, he was the long-awaited Messiah. He offered her living water, which represents salvation or eternal life. And as the disciples returned, they interrupted the conversation. Now, this is where we pick up our focus text for today. Verse 27. Verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or, why are you talking to her? Why were the disciples surprised? You see, by speaking to the woman, Jesus broke several cultural barriers. He spoke to a woman in public, and not just any woman, but an immoral Samaritan woman. Three strikes against him. That was something no self-respecting Jewish man would do. But Jesus disregarded those customs and intentionally engaged her in conversation so he could confront her with the truth, the truth of her sinful life and the truth that he is life. In Acts 10, 34 to 35, Peter said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. In other words, he's not partial. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with God. God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, where you've been, what you've done. He knows your history. Nevertheless, he will pick you up out of your filth, clean you up, give you a new vision and a new mission and the hope of eternal life. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to serve and not to be served, as, as Sister Brown told us before. And he expects us to do the same. John C. Mac Maxwell penned the words, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Isn't that a true statement? That's a true statement. He was talking about customer service, but it can also be applied to serving others for Christ. And in the book, Ministry of Healing, Page 143, it states, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bid them follow me. Many times someone will say, you know, um, can I have a little money to get some food? I'm hungry, I haven't eaten for so many days. And sometimes what do we say? I'll do what for you? I'll pray for you. And we, we proceed to try to 
give them a little word, but how does a hungry man concentrate on the word of God when all he can think of is the rumbling in his stomach? So Jesus wants us to minister to the whole man, okay? If we want to win souls for Christ, we have to minister to the whole man, mind, body, and spirit. Now verse 28 tells us, then leaving her water jar, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. You see, when we come face to face with Jesus, our Savior, something begins to happen in us. Something begins to happen through us. The Samaritan woman with the colorful past had been redeemed. Her life was renewed. She experienced a reformation she couldn't explain. All she knew is that Christ spoke to the desire for something better. She was convicted of her personal need. She accepted the living water he offered, and now she had a joy inside of her that was bubbling up and overflowing, and she had to share it with someone. Now, the reason she had originally gone to the well didn't seem so important anymore. She was determined not to let anyone or anything hinder her, so she left her water jar behind, went back to her village, and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? God has ordained us to serve. Is there anything hindering our service? Sister Stevenson just spoke about barriers to service. Are there barriers or walls we need to break down? Are there some friends we need to put in the bleachers or maybe walk away from? Are there some negative attitudes we need to lay down at the feet of Jesus? God knows what they are. But if we're going to get rid of those barriers, we need to first acknowledge that, acknowledge that they exist, as we heard before. We need to be honest with ourselves. It wasn't a pretty picture Jesus painted of the, Samaritan's woman, the Samaritan woman's life, but it was the truth. It was the truth. But Jesus, Jesus balanced truth with love, and he spoke truth and love into her life. He set her free from her past and empowered her to live a new life, and she left her water jar. She left her past life, her insecurities, her negative self-image. She left everything and departed to do service for Christ. She no longer fooled around with men. Instead, she became a fisher of men for Christ. She had a new vision, a new mission. Our tendency is to judge others because of stereotypes and prejudices and so on. But not so with Jesus. He treats people as individuals, accept, accepting them with love and compassion. And he expects us to do the same. We're not perfect. Sometimes we will say the wrong thing, and sometimes we will say the right thing at the wrong time, right? But with the Holy Spirit's help, we can do better. God is not finished with us yet. Like Jesus, we too can speak love and truth into people's lives. 
We have been ordained to serve. And through the Holy Spirit, God has given us a power to impact lives. Not power to dominate or to intimidate. Not power to dictate. Not power to destroy. Not power to impress. But power to impact lives for the kingdom and for him. So after the woman invited the people to come and see the man who told her everything she did, in verse 30, we're told they went out of the city and made their way toward Jesus. We can impact lives, but we cannot change lives. Changing lives is the work of the who? The Holy Spirit. But as we serve others, our testimonies of God's saving grace will help them make their way toward Jesus. So they too can taste and see that the Lord is good. In verse 31 to 38, the disciples, they were concerned about Jesus' well-being, and they urged him, urged him to eat something. But, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. They were per perplexed. And as they spoke among themselves, did someone bring him food while we were away? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. You see, Jesus was explaining to the disciples that doing the will of God and accomplishing his work means doing things which satisfy more deeply than food. I believe he also wanted them to understand that spiritual food is just as important as physical food. We need to feed the mind, the body, and the spirit. In verse 35 to 38, he turned their attention, he turned their attention to the fields and spoke about the harvest. Okay, you can see it right there. He, he turned their attention to the fields and he spoke about the harvest, not referring to the harvest of foods, but to the many who would believe in him. And among them were the Samaritans, who had listened to the words of the woman at the well. I'm not so good with this clicker, so you have to use your Bibles and, and follow along with me, okay? In verse 39 to 42, we're told, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So the Samaritans, they went to learn more about Jesus for themselves, and they got to know him personally as their savior from sin. They too drank of the living water so they would never thirst again. Now in this story of the woman at the well, leaving her water jar seems like a trivial piece of information. But it parallels other incidents in the New Testament when men left their jobs, men left their, ship, their, their, their fishing nets or their tax, collect, tax collection tables to immediately respond to Jesus. Do you remember some of those instances? She did the same thing, but on her own initiative. The woman went back to her village and told everyone about Jesus. She saw what should be done and she did it. 
She didn't wait for the large committee to select the small committee to elect her as a personal ministries leader, to form the word on the ministry uh, team, and then go back to her village to share the good news of salvation. She didn't have to wait for that. We don't need a title to tell the world about Jesus, do we? No, we don't have to be a ministry leader to, in order to lead souls to Christ, do we? No. The ordination of man actually is just a public recognition of what or whom God has already ordained. The truth is, there are some people who do not walk in the way of the Lord, and they're ordained by man, but not by God. Ordained by man, but not by God. The former is useless without the, the latter. Don't you agree? It's just all flesh and no dash. God forbid that any of us should fall in this category because our service would be in vain. As a matter of fact, our whole lives would be in vain. God has ordained us to serve. Ephesians 2 verse 20. Let me see if I can help you with this one. There we go. Ephesians 2 verse 20 tells us, we are God's workmanship. I'm using a, a different version here created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God never gives us a task without equipping us to do the task, as Sister Brown was telling us. According to the text, he prepares us in advance. So we have no excuses. Each of us has been shaped to serve. God has uniquely shaped us with different personalities, different abilities, different passions and experiences, and at least one of the spiritual gifts that Sister Brown mentioned earlier. Some people say, I don't have any gifts. You have at least one, I can assure you. So let us use them in service for Christ. Now, one pastor summed it up well when he said, God designed each of us so that there would be no duplication in the world. No one has the exact same mix of factors that make you unique, Sister Bray. This means no one on earth will ever be able to play the role God planned for you and for me. Isn't that a great statement? God has designed us. There's no duplication. There's no other sister seals. There's just one of you, and no one can play the role God has planned for you. God has a special role, a special work for each of us to do. Every follower of Christ has been ordained and equipped to serve others and win souls for Christ. Not just pastors and elders and Bible workers. It's a shared work. There is work to do. Service for Christ is service for Christ. It doesn't matter what or who does it. It doesn't matter who does it. As long as we are equipped with the right tools, we do it according to his will, and it brings honor and glory to God. Amen. A brother can serve by preparing the Sabbath lunch, can't he? And a sister can preach the Sabbath sermon, can't she? That's right. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, young or old, rich or poor, red or yellow, black or white. We're all equal in his sight. 
you've, you've probably heard the saying, the ground is level at the foot of a cross. You've heard that, right? Yeah. In Galatians 3, verse 28, it also tells us, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 12, I'm getting the hang of this, we read, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, one body, one spirit. If our destination is heaven, we can get there only on what I call, a ship called the SSBG. What does that stand for? What does that stand for? It means sinners saved by grace. And that ship is guided by Captain Jesus. This is an expensive voyage. None of us could afford it. So God sent his son Jesus to prepay our passage with his blood. Jesus gave his life so we could get on board. Can we say thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. He paid our passage with his blood. Brothers and sisters, let's not get sidetracked or distracted by trivial things. Let's not sweat the small stuff. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus alone who empowers us to do his good will. We were created to love and serve God by serving others. The Bible says we were created to serve, we were saved to serve, we were gifted to serve, we were shaped to serve. I was reading an article from uh, justbetweenus.org entitled Empowered. And this statement jumped out at me. It says, a life of loving and serving God and others is a maximized life, a fulfilled life. Yes, we are called to a life of service. That is what you were made for. What's more, you are not expected to draw upon your own strength to meet this calling. You are not left to pursue this life of servanthood on your own. That's why you have the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in your favor. Embrace it with gusto. It will propel you forward in ministry, wider in your reach for the kingdom, and deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. God has ordained us and equipped us to serve him by serving others. Let's break down the barriers. We have to learn to mix it up down here because, you know, when we go up there, there are going to be all kinds of creatures walking all over God's heaven. 
a matter of fact, I have to, I have to uh, tell you, I'm a little bit scared of that because some of you know that I'm afraid of everything that creeps and crawls and flies and anything that moves that's not human, I'm afraid of. But I'm trusting that the Lord will take away the fear, you know, when I get there. But God has ordained us to serve others. Let us do the work he has called us to do. Let's break down the barriers and put our gifts and abilities to use. Serving like Jesus served for the honor and glory of God. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I know that the Lord showed up this morning, early afternoon.